I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Catherine Eban, New York Times bestselling author and investigative journalist, author of Bottle of Lies, the inside story of the generic drug boom. Today, almost 90% of our pharmaceutical market is comprised of generics, the majority of which are manufactured overseas. We've been reassured by our doctors, our pharmacists, and our regulators that generic drugs are identical to their brand name counterparts, just less expensive. But is this really true? Catherine Eban reveals an industry where fraud is rampant, companies routinely falsify data, and executives circumvent almost every principle of safe manufacturing to minimize cost and maximize profit, confident in their ability to fool inspectors. Catherine Eban is a Fortune magazine contributor contributor, Andrew Carnegie Fellow, and her work has been featured in Vanity Fair, New York Times, New York Observer, 60 Minutes, Nightline, NPR, and more. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Nice to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Catherine, your story, uh, or this story, our story, I guess I said, Jay, is a very complex story, and it really does affect all of us here in the United States, globally, adults, children. Um, so the question, I guess, is where do we begin? Where do you begin? How did you begin this investigative uh how, your investigations, um, Bottle of Lies, and why did you decide to do it? So in 2008, I got a phone call from actually a radio show host named Joe Graydon, who um, co-hosts an NPR program called The People's Pharmacy. And he told me he was getting phone calls from patients who were having all kinds of side effects and symptoms when they were switched to certain generic drugs. Um, he thought their complaints were compelling, and he brought them to the attention of the FDA. And regulators there reassured him, or tried to, that it was probably psychosomatic, because if patients get switched and the color of the drugs are different or the shape, they could uh, react. But he thought that that wasn't adequate. And he contacted me. I'd been on his show a couple of times. I was an investigative journalist, am, and uh, specializing in the pharmaceutical area. And he suggested I look into it. So I, I, I started with the patients. And sure enough, you know, it was easy to find accounts of patients who had had really troubling medical odysseys after they were switched. They didn't realize that their symptoms started after a trip to the pharmacy. Um, and their doctors were baffled and felt they didn't have enough information. Um, but it was really after I, my first article ran in Self Magazine, and I was contacted by a whistleblower. He called himself $4 refill, which is how much we pay for a refill of generics uh, at a Walmart. And he basically started uh, a dialogue with me about overseas manufacturing of generics. So the majority of our generics are manufactured in India and China. And he described a world to me in which companies were altering quality data that they used to get approval for these drugs. So if a generic company submits an application to the FDA, they have to show test results um, proving that the drug is uh, similar 
in its concentration in the bloodstream as the brand name drug. They also have to submit test results that show the drug stable, that it dissolves in the body similarly. Um, and he was basically suggesting to me that in order to minimize cost and maximize profit, these companies were either rushing their data or fabricating their data to get approvals. And that's really where my investigation began in full. So these companies are falsifying the data, they're getting away with it, um, and their standards obviously are different than our standards here. How does that work now? I, it, it, the Our FDA investigators go over there, do they actually go over there as I understand it, uh, and go into these companies and supposedly are doing, you know, are have to go through a whole process of making sure that these drugs are okay, but that isn't exactly what happens, according to your investigation. Part of the problem is that the FDA is really regulating these drugs on an honor system. The companies submit the data, and the FDA reviews this data, and some of the data, as I have exposed in my book, uh, is fabricated. Uh, but there's another issue here, which is when the FDA shows up at a U.S. manufacturing plant, the investigators arrive unannounced and stay as long as is needed. But because of the complicated logistics of inspecting overseas drug plants, the FDA has chosen to announce its inspections weeks and sometimes months in advance. So that is giving the plant the opportunity to fabricate documents, to shred them, to clean up um, uh, plants that may not be sterile. Um, and there's all kinds of deceit and falsehood that is taking place around these pre-announced inspections. Um, well, as you describe in your the book, court- they go over there, they go to places like India, you're talking about India and China, and they get mm-hmm. wined and dined and stay at great hotels. And, uh, you know, and, and so by the time they get to these plants... Uh, every, not everything has been cleaned up, but some of it has. Uh, but you describe a couple of specific incidents, or more than that, but in your book. Give us an example of, uh, you know, exactly what we're talking about when one of our FDA investigators actually gets to the plant. Right. Well, first of all, you, you bring up an important point, which is the kind of what one source called it regulatory tourism that is taking place around these inspections. So, for example, um, uh, the FDA is actually asking these companies to make hotel reservations and to make um, uh, local travel arrangements for their investigators. And so luxury cars will arrive to pick them at the airport. Their rooms will be upgraded. Um, One source of mine called it regulatory tourism, and it it really is. But I'll give you an example of something that the FDA uncovered when they did an unannounced inspection. So they were going to inspect a plant in northern India uh, in a place called Tawansa. And they had reason to believe that the plant was expecting them to arrive on a Monday. And because of the concerns about this plant, they decided to shift the inspection to a Sunday. And when the FDA investigators arrived on a Sunday, they walked into what is called the Quality Control Laboratory 
And there along the walls were post-it notes um, telling the workers all the, all the data to alter in the documents in front of them because they were expecting the FTA to arrive Monday. So literally, these plants, when they are anticipating the arrival of the FDA, they will send in data fabrication teams to alter paperwork. In one instance that I describe in the book, they actually create, they're supposed to have standard operating procedures that make sure that this is how the plant is supposed to operate. And in some cases, these plants lack those documents. But when the FDA is going to show up, they invent these documents. And in one case, a plant even steamed this fabricated document overnight in a steamy room to make it look old. That's really, I, I, when I hear you say that and also reading it in the book, I mean, it is frightening. I, I think another sort of uh, similar kind of thing uh, they, as you talk about in the book, they send different levels of quality drugs to different markets, like they'll send their best drugs, it's India and China, to the United States and the EU, but then they'll send their drugs with less quality to developing countries like Africa. What are the implications for that? Well, the implications are really staggering. So this is something in the generic drug industry that is called dual-track production. And basically it is, as you described it, manufacturing different levels of quality for different markets. So, for example, um, swapping out high-quality ingredients for lower-quality ingredients, which is cheaper, or skipping manufacturing steps. Or perhaps they made batches for um, a U.S. market that don't meet our standards. They don't throw out those batches as they're supposed to. They will send those to developing countries, like countries in Africa. Um, you know, one example of the attitude that underlies this, um, a U.S. executive for the Indian generic company Rambaxi was on a conference call with her colleagues and was raising questions about the quality of the AIDS drugs for Africa. And a medical director of the company responded to her, who cares? It's just blacks dying. Uh, and there is a kind of callousness that has come in part from being so focused on profits that they are disconnected from the actual mission behind their products. I think another thing, if you think about, uh, um, and I know you've discussed this as well, um, Trump, who wants to sort of deregulate more of many of our, most or all of our industries, what happens when the, well, you take the FDA, for instance, which is uh, what we're talking about, and rolling back the, uh, regulations or the, in, in the, in the FDA, uh, we're going to be in a worse situation or are, are we, I mean, it would seem to me that we're heading in a kind of a catastrophic situation when it, comes to uh, even getting these drugs here in the United States, since 90%, as I said in the beginning of our, of our uh, pharmaceutical market, is generics. You know, after uh, investigating this issue for a decade, um, I think I can say that if people really knew the facts, nobody would want to take a drug from made in a plant that had not been inspected by an FDA investigator. I mean, the dangers are so significant. So, for example, 
um, one of the investigators I described, Peter Baker, um, was in a manufacturing plant in India, uh, in Aurangabad, and saw a, a man, an employee with a garbage bag trying to sneak out of the plant, chased after him, re- retrieved the garbage bag, and in it were batch records from uh, manufacturing of vials, sterile vials of insulin, which had metallic fragments in them, which, of course, is potentially lethal as an injectable drug. Uh, and these were manufactured and sold by the company, uh, and the metallic fragments had come from uh, broken-down equipment. So, you know, the perils are just enormous. And particularly uh, and if you're taking, as you describe in your book, maintenance drugs, which probably most, I don't know the statistics, uh, I'm sure you do, but how many of us take maintenance drugs, drugs that you take every single day, like insulin, for instance, or Lipitor, or you know, blood pressure medication, all of those kinds of drugs. So you're ingesting these drugs every day, and the long-term effects of that um, have to be... Yeah, I mean, and, you know, for any of your listeners who might be thinking, well, you know, I probably haven't gotten drugs from overseas, I mean, the statistics are pretty staggering, which is 90% of our drug supply is generic, and the majority of those drugs are made overseas. 40% of all of our generics come from India. Um, so really, we're we're totally reliant on... Um, uh, pharmaceutical products from overseas for our medicine. I mean, the U.S. makes almost none of its own antibiotics anymore. Catherine, if we look on the, uh, well, you know, people are probably running to their medicine cabinets right now <laughs> <laughs> and looking to see where does this come from, but we don't, it doesn't, uh, if you look on your, uh, look at your medicine bottles, uh, it doesn't tell us where the drug comes from. Like if you look at your clothes, it says made in Cambodia, Mm -hmm. or if you look at food, this was, you know, your shrimp was uh, cotton in uh, Thailand. And so you have choices. Perhaps maybe you don't want to buy that particular product coming from that particular country, but that's not true of drugs. So what do we do? Where can we get information? Yeah, you know, it really isn't. And and people don't realize this, but, uh, you know, you're taking a drug where maybe the active ingredient was made in China and maybe the finished dose was made in India, uh, and then we're getting it at a U.S. pharmacy, and none of that information, you know, the the name of the manufacturer will be disclosed, but where that drug was manufactured is unknown. And as you point out, you know, you, you buy a box of cereal, you're told where it was manufactured. So this is this is really an area where we need new laws around this. You know, there has to be some disclosure to consumers. But, you know, part of the problem is because the FDA has assured us, you know, the brand, the generic is interchangeable with the brand, and the generics are interchangeable with one another. And consequently, most of us just go to a pharmacy, we get our medicine, and we, we never look at the label. We don't think about it. Um, but there really are distinctions in quality in these different drugs. Given what we have, as you say, there have to be changes in the law. I assume, what is the motivation behind this? Just money? That we that our, we ha- our drugs are so expensive and so companies make more money here? Is Or how does that work? Well, first of all, Western companies are buying up manufacturing plants in India and China because practically overnight they can reduce their operating costs 
you know, through cheap labor and cheap supplies. But also, Indian and Chinese companies are rushing into our market because we are the most lucrative market in the world. So they're applying to the FDA for approval. They're getting approval um, to market their drugs in our country. And, you know, because we have so little regulation of our brand name prices, right, and, the, and no one can afford those, we really have become reliant on these low-cost drugs manufactured overseas. So what do we do, given today, someone who's listening, obviously, to, to, to our interview and listening to you and read your book, what can we as consumers do to protect ourselves in some way Are there, so that we get more information or whatever information is available out there? Um, where is it? Is there any? So I actually have, because I've been getting so many questions about this, um, I put together a guide to investigating your own drugs. And your listeners can find it on my website, which is katherineeban.com. Um, so basically what I advise consumers at this moment, um, given the state of our laws, they need to first focus on who manufactured the drug. So that's step number one especially if you're taking maintenance drugs, right? If you're, if you're taking a generic that works, you want to stay on the drug from that manufacturer. If you're taking a drug that doesn't work, you're going to want to switch to another manufacturer. Um, then you but can when you say, I want to stop you there, because when you say it works, let's say you are taking a generic drug that you feel good, it seems to be working, but let's say that, that there's something in it that is poisonous over time that doesn't necessarily make you feel bad at the moment, but maybe in two or three or four years, because it is a maintenance drug, it's going to affect you. Maybe it causes cancer. Um, how, how, how can you know, or you can't know that, I guess? Well, you know, you're 100% right about that. Um, you know, the, my remark of before is probably related to a different situation where and there's a lot of this where patients are switched to a generic drug that really doesn't work. So their symptoms are no longer in control. They're having terrible side effects. But you're right that there is another scenario whereby people take a drug, it seems to work, but in, it turns out it has toxic impurities in it. And that was the case uh, with a sweeping recall of blood pressure medicine that's just happened uh, or happened over the last year. Um, Valsartan and Losartan, widely taken blood pressure medication, and it turned out that the active ingredient, which was made in China, contained a carcinogen. Um, now, how can patients know that? They can't, um, which is why we need much better regulation of these plants to start with. Um, you know, so... While you're right that there are limits to what the consumer can do, there is still more information that they can glean, and they can actually request a switch to a different generic. And I do it all the time at my own pharmacy. I do too, and it's interesting that the drug that uh, the one that you I don't know if you call it feature uh, one of the drugs in your book, uh, the one that you just mentioned, drug uh, high blood pressure medication. Which I do take and take the brand. I never, and my physician said, Oh, take the generic. It's the same. It doesn't make any difference. I don't know anybody who takes the brand. 
uh, name drug because it's so expensive. Well, I don't take a lot of medication, so I decided, you know, I'm going to stick with this because I don't take mm-hmm. a lot of medication. And I did. And and I, w- I would say about a year later, all of this came out, you know, that... that, that uh, <laughs> Uh, the re- yeah. That was just the gut feeling, but it wasn't really yeah. based on anything. Yeah. So when you say you go to the pharmacy, you make sure you get the brand name? Well, a brand name or a generic that I consider to be safer than another generic. But there's another thing that um, <clears throat> consumers can look for, which is there are some generics that are called authorized generics. Those are, those are generics that the brand name company has specifically licensed. So they've gotten together with a generic company. They've said, we authorize you to make our drug. And the benefit to the consumer is that they literally hand over the recipe. So the authorized generics can end up being much closer to the brand. And sometimes they're even manufactured in the same plant. So what do we do for medications? I'm I'm thinking of of children, for instance. Um, Not that that should be any different, but... Um, maybe you have a child who has to be on medication, you know, continually taking medication as we've been talking about maintenance drugs. What do you do? The same thing? Well, I think you go through the same steps, but you know, it's a tremendous problem. I mean, anybody who is going to a pharmacy and filling an antibiotic prescription for their kid is almost certainly getting a drug that's manufactured overseas because the U.S. just doesn't make we don't make our own um, antibiotics anymore. Um, you know, and there are a lot of drugs that are no longer, they're just not available in the brand. They're not manufactured anymore. Um, you know, and I think this is where really, uh, and it's no easy fix, a consumer revolution is needed here. You know, we need to demand from our lawmakers more information better regulation, more systematic testing of these drugs, um, because that really isn't happening. You know, and the FDA is assuring everybody that everything is fine when, in fact, it's, it's really not. So you as an investigative journalist, what kind of a response are you getting? I mean, from government officials, pharmaceutical companies, uh, what are these people saying about Catherine Eben and her book? Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I am just flooded with response. I mean, first of all, I've been flooded with email from patients, many of whom are like, oh, well, now it all makes sense. I, now I understand why when I got switched, I didn't get better. So there's that. Um, I am, uh, you know, really a lot of people are, be honest, expressing a lot of gratitude that I bothered to connect all these dots over all these years um, to expose this. And then, of course, I'm getting um, very critical feedback from the generic drug industry who have said that my book is uh, a horrible book full of lies. So (laughs) uh, that's that's not surprising to me either. No, that's not surprising at all, because your book... I guess I said this in the beginning, we only have a couple minutes left, but um, drugs are something that we all take. I mean, there are some topics that apply to some of us, some of the, I know some of the investigative journalism that you have done on other topics, but not quite as Mm -hmm. toxic. This is really a toxic topic, I guess, right? Because this is something that, that affects everyone. 
Um, yes. So what's in yeah. a couple minutes? Yeah. What's next for you? And did you? I know you gave us a website we can go to, but um, are there other places that we should be looking? You know, or doing something um, as consumers? Well, I'm, on my website, I do provide links. Um, to other places where people can gather information. So I would urge listeners to go check that out, to read the book, um, to, you know, arm yourself with information, um, uh, you know, and to, to try to take what steps are available now to ensure as best as possible that your drugs are effective and that they're safe. Um, but I, I would say, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. I mean, this is a this is an issue where um, nobody's really delved into this to look at this in detail. And it took me literally ten years to connect the dots across the globe between, you know, what are patients complaining about, what are regulators finding, what are companies doing. Uh, what's really going on inside these plants? Uh, you know, the book is based on 20,000 pages of internal FDA documents that I obtained through sources, uh, internal company records. Um, so there's a lot of information there. Yeah, there is. And I have to say to listeners, I mean, what you've done is, I mean, you have the book available. At least it begins for consumers to open up the conversations with their physicians and or their pharmacists. Um, so I think that's a really good uh, a really good opportunity for all of us. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, Thank bottle you. Of it was lies. a great pleasure. Catherine Eban, go out and buy the book. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 